Warning, Star Trek from the holodeck contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Walk it alone! Fire! Holodeck 3 program is reinstated. Open sesame! Commander Klingon vessel. We are energizing transport of him. Now. Welcome, everyone, to Star Trek from the Holodeck. This is the Strange New Worlds edition, and I'm your host and Captain Michael Flores. Today's episode will be a little different than other ones because I am alone. I am flying solo on the bridge. David has fallen ill with COVID-19 and feels like someone has punched him in the chest repeatedly. So he's unable to attend today's broadcast, but as they say, the show must go on. Star Trek in the year 2022 does not slow down, which means we cannot slow down. There's no reprieve. I must push forward. And even if I contract the Klingon flu and develop deep ridges across my forehead, I will still be in here doing a show. Okay, so in this episode titled Memento Mori. I will be taking you through the ins and outs of this episode, which featured some of my favorite things in Star Trek. For one, the classic naval combat, which I have discussed numerous times, I believe at some point during our discussions, our nearly 200 plus episode discussions. To me, this is something that used to be a bigger part of Trek. And I'm sure some of you old school viewers or people who have gone back and watched some of the classic episodes. And when I say classic, I mean both the original series as well as TNG. It's something that I think a lot of people would recognize when they go back and watch those episodes. Or what possibly I would I would even say it's more of a. These are these are things I would call Trek genre semantics things that create the world of star trek and make it feel more authentic during the past season of discovery i had discussed this very thing pretty in depth and just to keep it brief some of my favorite episodes of trek are episodes that place our captains in a setting where the writers and directors can highlight their prowess as naval captains uh, the original series, as I said, did it numerous times where they'd give us an episode where we'd get to see our captain, Captain Kirk, command a ship through combat via strategy, much like a naval officer aboard a submarine or a battleship. So instead of just seeing a captain, you know, command people, which is what we typically see, and there are moments in Star Trek where we kind of lose sight of what it really means to be a captain. It's not just about commanding your crew and exploring and going on away missions, but also what does the captain offer in the way of true command presence aboard a bridge of a starship when it comes under attack? 
And that's something Star Trek in the past has done very well. So to see an episode like this really use those, those naval elements to create a feeling that that's essentially a metaphor for underwater combat, at least in this particular episode, there was an episode on the original series that stands out specifically when it comes to things like this. And I want to say it was the episode titled balance of power or was it the enterprise incident? I think it was balance of terror, balance of terror. And it was the episode where Kirk took the enterprise, I believe into the neutral zone and at that time, Romulans were still a mystery to them, so they weren't sure what they looked like. So a lot of the, the battle took place in space where they never actually saw the enemy uh, until way later when they discovered a way to see through the, I believe it was a cloak, a cloaking device, if my memory serves me correct. But it was a lot like this episode here where Pike is commanding the crew to basically run through stealth maneuvers and and we get to see his prowess as a naval commander. And that's the episode uh, Bounce of Terror that I feel was definitely an influence. So if you guys are interested in checking that out, let me see if I can pull it up quickly. It's a little more difficult to pull things up when there is no other co-host to take over and communicate while I am digging through the archives here on my computer. Yes. OK, so it was the episode Balance of Terror. From the original series, it was season one, episode eight. I know there are some people out there who kind of stay away. Believe it or not, there are Star Trek fans who stay away, don't really rewatch the original series as much as maybe the other uh, former episodes or former series of Star Trek because eh, it's campy. You know, it's maybe they feel like it's not as rewatchable as some of the others. But I will tell you now. If you don't remember this episode, go back and watch. It is one of the better episodes of the original series. Great directing, fantastic writing. The episode was written by Paul Schneider and directed by Vincent McEvity. So definitely check that episode out. And I'm sure you'll see the, the similarities uh, to the two episodes, both uh, Momento Mori and, and Balance of Terror. And of course, TNG. I mean, has had similar episodes. None pop out at me at the moment, uh, but there were numerous episodes as well from TNG. And after that, the other series really never developed episodes in that vein. Uh, certainly, uh, Deep Space Nine is that Cold War type show, you know, that slow burn of, uh, where it accumulates to an all out war. But there were moments where we got to see Cisco and even Worf command and Jadzia a few times command the Defiant, but there wasn't an attention to the classic naval combat strategy. At least nothing pops out at me at, at this moment. So to see them go back to that, I really can appreciate why they did that and how they did that. And also it's an example of writers being creative because the Gorn and I'm going to get into this in a minute because there was a little bit of controversy surrounding the Gorn. The Gorn were, were pretty much an unknown, an unknown variable essentially in the world of Star Trek at this time. So they had to be careful. They couldn't play fast and loose. They had to be very attentive to Canon when it, when it comes to the Gorn 
And they created an episode that allows the Gorn to still remain a mystery, but also use them as a fear technique to create, you know, dread almost. So that being said, that was definitely the highlight for me overall. And I like the strategy that the producer employed, as I was saying, in order to adhere to Star Trek canon as far as the Gorn are concerned. And the reason we got an episode like this was that they had to honor what was established in the original series at this time. As I was saying, I'm aware that some Star Trek fans, I know we grow impatient as a group. I have fallen victim to this as well, where I will watch something and I don't wait to see what they do with it. I hear about it and I get really concerned. And I, I feel like a lot of that's earned You know, I think we've been jaded because of some bad decisions over the years when it comes to Star Trek. So understandably, so we um, get a little anxious, but there were a lot of fans that were concerned when they saw that this episode was going to be built around the Gorn. I feel like the writers did do a good job skirting that canon line. Um, Other than the famous appearance of the Gorn, which I feel like even people who haven't been avid rewatchers of the original series i think everyone remembers how iconic that episode was where the gorn was first featured arena was the name of the episode that's a classic episode that's the episode where kirk is pit against a gorn commander and they duke it out i mean that is i would call it iconic some people would probably describe it as infamous uh, because of I mean, it's been the source of so many jokes years later because, I mean, let's be honest, the Gorn costume is awful. Uh, but an episode like that is a perfect example where something like Star Trek that has such a good idea sometimes falls victims to the times. There's only so much you can do in the 1960s to uh, create, a, I guess, reality based or grounded in some type of realism when it comes to the aliens. I mean, wasn't there an episode where Spock was holding a dog, I want to say, and it was supposed to be an alien. So, I mean, it's the 60s. It is what it is. But that's why I like when a show like Strange New Worlds can kind of, not kind of, it did, update it a bit. Um, so, the other episodes, when it comes to Star Trek canon, where we see the Gorn in some degree, whether it be mentioned. Okay, so the animated series... Time Trap, 1973, Lower Decks episode, Veritas, the Enterprise episode, and A Mirror Darkly Part 2, which, if you guys have not watched Enterprise, I know it was slow to start with the first two seasons, but in my opinion, Enterprise's season three and season four are, in my opinion, some of the best Star Trek, those final two seasons. And sadly, the Mirror Universe episodes came at the end i want to say there was like two or three episodes left in the season in the final season when they finally did a mirror universe episode it was a two-parter and it was fantastic Uh, so we saw them in that and then discovery season one i do remember that in discovery season one we saw the skeleton because it was all types of debate if you remember in discovery um mirror universe captain lorca had a bunch of basically trophies in his room and in the background there were 
skeletal remains, and one of them was of a Gorn. And that also created, I remember, controversy because it went back to the whole, well, the Federation and Starfleet, were they aware that Gorn? Because there was some implications alluding to the fact in, the, in Arena that the Gorn weren't well-known. So outside of that, it's always been implied, as I was saying, about, or I should say it was implied when Kirk was pit against the Gorn in the now famous or perhaps infamous episode Arena. Uh, it was one of a few times, if not the first, that the Federation had encountered the Gorn species. That's what was implied, and that is why there was a bit of concern leading into this episode. Um, writer and producer Davey Perez told Inverse, we discussed this quite a bit you know, in order to honor the idea that people either haven't seen the Gorn and in some cases might not believe they even exist. He goes on to say, our goal is never to undo people's experience with the original series, but perhaps give us an interesting perspective to consider that lines up with the original stories. And I would agree with that statement. If you're careful, there are many different ways to play in a sandbox. And that's exactly where the producers of Strange New Worlds and the first two seasons of Discovery found themselves they found themselves in a very confining sandbox and that is one of the problems that you face when you continue to go back when it comes to a franchise it's something that i don't advocate i'm i'm actually very much against it in fact even though i love strange new world so far and i enjoy it and for the most part i've really enjoyed discovery but if i was the producer of the star trek universe as it is today i would never have chosen to go back i don't care about fan service i would have probably started 10 15 years post tng era maybe even 60 70 years and move forward because then you have a larger sandbox to play in when you play in such a confining sandbox it can be very restricting but if you are a clever group of writers, you can also find some interesting ways to do things that actually might help you if you're good. Writers, some writers can do this. It can actually probably help you come up with some pretty innovative writing in order to do things. It makes you work harder. So if you care about canon and you're a good writer and good, you know, you have a good producing team that really is on board, you know, your ideas, then you can actually get some really unique clever episodes um one episode of television that really comes to that comes to mind immediately when you're talking about this type of thing there was an episode of breaking bad that a lot of people didn't like i thought it was fucking genius but there was an episode where i want to say there was a budget issue at some point i want to say during season two or season three of breaking bad and they had to cut and rather than cutting vital story they decided to write this entire episode about the main character if you haven't watched the show this isn't going to confuse you i'll keep it simple um you have the main character obsessed with finding a fly that he can hear in this in this sterile room it's supposed to be a sterile environment where he's cooking meth so he's trying to track down this fly and the entire 60 minutes is him trying to find this fly and they had to do an episode like that because they didn't have a budget. Let me rephrase that. They had to cut down on their budget. The better way of saying that. 
in order to make sure they had enough funds to stretch for the rest of the season. And what you get is an episode so fucking intriguing and smart because they had to be. In order to get that episode done, they had to get creative. So sometimes when you put yourself, when you put yourself in a sandbox and you have talent, it can work out pretty damn well. And I want to say an episode like this is, I would say is a good example of that, of getting creative because of being in that confining sandbox. I can also appreciate that the Gorn wasn't used simply as fan service or as a nod to the original series. Uh, a good team of writers will typically consider what something like the Gorn could do for the immediate episode and or series in question. And that's exactly what they did. It was about fleshing out Laanne's backstory, not about the Gorn necessarily. It was about our new character. But it also highlights Pike's abilities as a naval captain. And those moments, as I was saying, were just exceptional. From writing to Dan Leo's directing, I hopefully I said the director's last name correct. Leo's, I would say, Dan Leo's directing and the overall aesthetics that helped in shaping the naval metaphor. I mean, down to the sound design. If you guys are lucky enough to have a good sound system, pump up that volume during the, the battle sequences. The creaking of the hull it, and the ping of the radar. I mean, it was so perfect. And I, ping of the radar, air quotes. I mean, everything was set up to be a metaphor for classic naval combat aboard a submarine. Submerged, chasing down an unseen foe or being chased by an unseen threat. So they did a great job. It wasn't just about fan service. It was also about style. It was about fleshing out characters. Another thing that worked with this episode was how it was written within that classic Trek template that I like to call the Trek team building template. We're all familiar with these episodes. Every Trek series does this typically early on in their series runs. Uh, Star Trek Voyager did them quite a bit because they had to find a way to to bridge that gap between terrorists which is what the maquis were and then the federation i mean how far apart in ideology can you get so they had to do numerous episodes like that in the first season of star trek voyager they did them in d space nine they did them in tng every time they do something like this the intent is to flesh out the camaraderie of the crew uh, you get that episode that will separate the crew essentially and pair them off into small groups that give the writer um opportunities to get our characters talking which is really what it's about uh, good directing good writing good tv shows good movies they typically find those those moments those vital moments that feel right and organic to get our characters talking and through their talking, we learn about them, about what's going on. And of course about them as characters. I mean, seamlessly when you do this, it seamlessly gives key characters development while building rapport with the audience. 
and it's quick. It's easy. It's a very easy way to build out ideas and flesh out uh, the crew through just simply a series of connected events that that highlight qualities either negative or positive. And look how quickly they moved through those moments in this episode. One thing led to the next, to the next, to the next. We had those scenes between Pike and Lyanne, which is starting to feel similar to, I love, so far, I think the two of them, their relationship is great. Mentor and apprentice, essentially. Um, it's starting to feel a lot like the Captain Picard and Ensign Rowe relationship. You have that mentor that works to soften the edges of the young officer because the captain sees potential, possibly command potential. Also, we have those intimate moments on the bridge where the crew's trust and their captain, it strengthens, I want to say, their trust because of his ability to not just command the ship during the crisis, but also keep his crew held together. I love those moments on the bridge where it was, it was nuanced. It was slow. They were willing to take some moments and allow the actors to fucking actually act. You know, that's, you know, I talk a lot about my problems with modern television. That is one of my problems with modern television as well is the fact that we get these, these over sensationalized editing sequences so much today in TV. It's, it's as if they don't have faith in their directing or the audience's ability to, to care. So they try to do a lot of editing in order to keep people's attention. And yes, I know people's attention is not what it was, you know, years back. We live in an ADD society, so I understand something's got to change, but also have some faith in the audience. If you create a, a, a powerful moment with good acting and good directing, the attention is going to be there. People are going to focus on that. And this episode highlighted just fantastic directing and the trust level that the writer, director, producers have with these, with these new actors. Because Anson Mount was able to just slow play a lot of this. It was very um, methodical. There was thinking. There was things that were being said and done without him actually having to say a thing. It was all in the face, you know, emoting. It was really, really well done. In addition to all that, we also had Hemmer and Uhura go through their ordeal, which brought them closer together. There was a bit of an understanding between the two of them. Uh, Mbanga. And Una is a, another relationship pair off that they have been doing a couple times now already in just four episodes. That's building that relationship up between the two of them. So ultimately, this episode worked to, to not just create the Gorn as a threat and to play in this, in this sandbox of familiarity, but to and not just to have fun, but also let's flesh out these characters in a way that doesn't feel like we're fleshing them out. Let's get them talking. Let's make it feel organic. So a few other talking points. The visuals, when it comes to both cinematography and the visual effects, are, I just, it's stunning. Some of the best visual effects work I've seen on television when it comes to large-scale science fiction, there are so many shows today that just, with bigger budgets than Strange New Worlds, that doesn't quite punch. It doesn't work at times. There was a show that I just got done watching on Amazon 
the Wheel of Time. The, the visuals didn't quite feel right. It felt like it had that mid 2000s sci fi channel visual effects funk. It just didn't quite work. And uh, with all of it, the visual effects didn't um, weren't wasn't color graded correctly. So it didn't feel like it was actually a part of the image. We're not having these types of problems with Strange New Worlds or Discovery or even Picard. Uh, but Strange New Worlds and Discovery, they are benefiting from pieces of technology that they did not use on Picard. And I have said this a couple times now. Why does Picard feel so confining? I said that during the first season. Why does it feel so confining? You know, I've even said that about Discovery a few times where it feels like sometimes we're just in that ship and there's nothing else around us. The reason why Strange New Worlds feels so big is because they're utilizing new pieces of technology. One is called the AR wall, uh, which is basically creating virtual environments. And as they were talking about in a recent visual effects reel for Strange New Worlds, they were discussing it might have, you know what? It might have been in a cinematography magazine I was reading pertaining to Strange New Worlds. I, you know what? I, I don't remember exactly where it was from, so don't quote me on the source, but I do know that they're using an AR wall that essentially creates virtual environments. And they are saying that this is eventually going to replace green screen. We're all familiar with green screen at this point. Uh, green screen is simply how they remove the background. They put the green screen behind the actor or objects, and then they put in whatever they want in the background. A digital mat, you name it, anything they can do. Set extensions, the sky's the limit. But now they're doing this on set immediately so that the actors are now feeling in the moment rather than having to talk to, say, a tennis ball, which is that classic joke that a lot of actors will make when it comes to heavy VFX films. You know, when they're being chased by a bad guy, that's going to be all you know recreated in visual effects or by visual effects. You know, they're being chased by a, a green tennis ball um, or you have massive green just all around them. And the actors have said numerous times throughout the decades since this has become the norm. It's hard sometimes to put yourself in the moment when all you're seeing is the technology around you rather than being on a natural set, because that is the benefit. A lot of actors will tell you that's the benefit of working in, you know, standard films, you know, indie films, you know, films that rely heavily on practical sets because there's a, a naturalness to it. And a, a lot of actors find it easier to fall into character. So with this virtual environments they're creating, the actors are seeing what's around them. It's basically digitized set extensions is what it is. They're taking some practical sets and creating the illusion that they're much bigger through these virtual environments. So it reduces editing time as well, because essentially you have those things already there and it helps with the acting. So we, we all love the uh, classic TOS episodes as I was saying, but of course, being produced in the 60s, as we know, whether you love the original series or not, it hasn't aged well because it's been so long. 1960s, it just technology wasn't what it, not even close to what it is today. So taking something like the Gorn in this episode, which is pulpy, which was pulpy and campy in the 60s, 
and reframing it in a way that sells the Gorn as a viable threat in a way that strengthens not just this episode, but it actually strengthens the original series episode, the arena as well, in my opinion. But by having this episode, um, it helps you. It helps the audiences look at the Gorn a little differently rather than being that cheesy, campy villain that Kirk fought. Now we understand what they were possibly hoping to convey in the 1960s. And it's this, this moody feeling of, of fear, threat. You're, you're going to be food. You are prey. Kiva Goldsman said in an interview that he loves the Gorn. He said he's obsessed with them as a species in Star Trek because they they aren't necessarily a metaphor for anything else. They don't represent anything other than the fact that they are evil. It's an interesting view on the universe that there is no reason behind the things that they do. They're just evil. That's why a statement like Land made where she says something in the universe, some things in the universe are just plain evil. And that was so powerful. And it worked to evoke a, I would say almost like a Lovecraftian style of dread, you know, fear of the unseen threat, an unknowable predator. That's very much on par with Lovecraft. And Lovecraft is the master of creating dread out of nothing, literally nothing. So that design of the Gorn spacecraft also builds on the notion of the unknowable. Uh, they were purposely, purposely designing, or I should say they were purposely de- designed these ships. According to one producer, I forgot his name, but he was saying that they created the Gorn ship to essentially be something we couldn't understand. The way it flew, for example, because it adds to the unseen threat. So they wanted to also convey the oddities of their space flight and how it doesn't quite compute. How does this work? Why does it fly this way? So they did all of that in order to sell this, this idea of the Gorn while also working within that sandbox. It's also worthy to mention Nurse Chapel. I really like that character. I really like what they're doing with her and I'm hoping we get more of her throughout the next, I don't know, several years of Star Trek, even after Strange New Worlds ends, because she's such an iconic character to begin with. And to see her get a second chance at at life, essentially, as a character on Strange New Worlds, it, it makes me happy. She's an interesting character. We didn't really know much about her in the original series. And now suddenly, boom, here she is. And she's developing her own little sassy personality. I mean, the, the statement she made to Una about the pain she was going to feel like giving birth out of your mouth. And then Una is all who talks like that. I mean, it's just, it's good. It's fun. It's a, a, a fair amount of levity as well. When you're talking about a, a, an episode of Star Trek, that was, I would say it was, even though there was an optimistic flair to it, it was dark. It, you're dealing with a, a girl, Lan, who was a survivor of, let's just call it what it is, genocide. You know, her people were killed off and she was the only one left to survive so that, I guess, to tell the tell, you know, almost like what is the pirate type thing, I guess. You know, one person survives to spread the rumor 
and to hopefully strike fear in other people in the galaxy. So I like that quite a bit. Um, I would probably give this episode on the RMD score, I would probably give it a 95%. You know what? Not probably. I would. In fact, I will. I will give it a 95% on the RMD score. I wanted to go a little higher because I feel like the directing was really damn good in this episode and it just worked so well with the acting, uh, but 95, 95% on the RMD score. And when David gets back, I will get his score and add it to the list here of our ongoing scores. But as of now, since he's not here, the show score sits at 95% as well for the episode. Now, before I close out today's discussion, I do want to briefly get into some things pertaining to some controversial moments. It seems like every fandom today, if it's been around more than 10 years, there's some type of controversy about people's views and how things should be done according to established canon, or I would say their own subjective expectations. Sometimes fans are correct. They are right. But sometimes we're overpassionate. And we need to be cautious about that. Are we speaking truths? Or are we speaking subjective truths based on what we think we would like to see? And some of those things have a lot to do with the political comments. Or let, let's call it social commentary in the first episode of Strange New Worlds, which has now continued to create controversy. And unfortunately, I, I see a lot of far-right uh, blogs maligning the episode, maligning Star Trek, saying it is another example of woke Star Trek, which I, I, I take offense to that. This isn't woke at all. I, first off, I hate that word, as I've said numerous times. But I understand the woke backlash. I get it. When you continually shove politics in people's ear holes in their mouth, uh, which is currently what we see right now in today's society. It's all over television. It's always been a part of art. That's one thing I do want to say. Artists of all types have always put things into their work that would help propel progressive thought this is nothing new all forms of art have always been used to change the mindset to create or at least motivate progress subtly there's an entire study in in film of course uh, it's not a course but it's a track you can take that you can focus on um you know, studying the iconography of film and television and really interpreting what people are actually saying through symbolism, which is what visual mediums are essentially. They're metaphor and symbolism. So this isn't a new concept. It's always been there. But the controversy surrounding the first episode of Strange New Worlds, David and I had gotten into it a bit. Uh, they had used the January 6th Capitol riot as, as one of their many pieces of evidence that the world during the 21st century was at the brink of, of collapse. And a lot of far-right 
bloggers and people that are just kind of upset and look for woke and everything because they're just annoyed at this point. They have pointed to that episode and said, well, here we go again. They are trying to split people. They're taking part in the culture war. And, and first off, I would disagree with that. Um, and I pretty much said my piece during that discussion. So I don't want to get into it too heavily, but I will say that the producer, one of the producers of the episode, he got into his thoughts recently because he's, he's being asked about this because it's creating a lot of backlash. Those we're in a state right now in our country where we're in, I'm calling it retaliatory politics where people are now doing things politically just because the other group did something. So now they're like, well, I'm going to do this because you did this and I'm going to do this and you did that. And now I'm going to do this. And then because of that, we get a lot of this bleed over into entertainment. Now pop culture where they're now the producers and directors are now being dragged in for their own ideology and being pulled into this culture war and being forced to take sides when I don't feel like comments like this from Strange New Worlds, I don't feel like they're taking sides. I feel like, and if they were, who gives a shit? But I don't feel like they were. I feel like they were trying to show the stepping stones, how societies and civilizations collapse when they become parasitic and they internally eat themselves to death. And this isn't a new concept. This was established in the 1960s. Gene Roddenberry had established this idea that in the 21st century, the world falls apart. World War III happens. The world falls apart. And only then do we as, human, as humans come together. So this isn't new. In fact, I feel like something like what they did in the first episode of strange new worlds was actually pretty fucking smart because it's speaking on something extremely re relevant that is in fact leading to the downward spiral of this country. doesn't matter what side politically you're on. That is something you can point to and say, wow, is this, is this really where we are today? Is this really where we are as a society? So he says, this producer let me get to what he says henry alonzo myers who serves as the co-showrunner alongside akiva goldsman for strange new worlds says there were discussions about including the incident in the sci-fi series we don't want trek to be alienating but also the values of trek are pretty straightforward he's right myers tells tv line with Pike's speech, we're saying that this is a time of a lot of conflict. We felt like it couldn't hurt to put that in a, rem in a reminder, or I should say in as a reminder, that the path of conflict has consequences. It wasn't a scolding or a shaming thing. It was more trying to say that this is a message that we hope will have resonance for today. That's exactly what, in, in so many words, what I said during our first episode discussion, that this is a moment. This is a sign. 30, 40 years, we're going we're gonna to study this and we're going to look back at the January 6th Capitol attack and we're going to say, this was a, a moment where it was clear that this country was in trouble. I feel like that's very much on par with everything we've ever seen from Star Trek. So, 
that's all I wanted to say before I close out today's show. I do want to remind everyone to please find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash Rainman Digital. Once David rests up and gets better, we do plan on jumping immediately into some Patreon content. We have the Star Trek Picard tie-in audio drama that's completely cast. Jerry Ryan reprises her role as Seven of Nine. So we're going to get into that. We're going to break that down. And then we also are going to be doing a discussion on the very first original Star Trek novel titled Spock Must Die, which I will say I have geeked out numerous times while reading the book because it's heavy. It's heavy on philosophy. So I've, I've enjoyed it. And it's a book I, I do not believe I've ever read it. So I'm enjoying the experience and I want to share that experience with the rest of you. So please go to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and pledge. If you pledge $5 or more a month, you're going to gain access to those discussions as well as all of our past discussions we've done for Patreon, which is that's it's hundreds and hundreds, if not thousands of hours that we've done. Also, you'll gain access to all of our lower tiers. Uh, which includes the pre-show that we do for for Star Trek from the holodeck, which we now title Unimatrix Zero. That's the title of our pre-show that's available exclusively on Patreon. So go to patreon.com slash Rayman Digital and Pledge. By doing so, you let me know that you guys are enjoying what we're doing. I do need to hear from you guys to know that what we're doing resonates that there's some value for the star Trek listeners there. I know our downloads are, are great um, from the podcast side. YouTube is starting to get there, but I would love to hear from you guys. You know, you can reach me at from the holodeck on Twitter or Facebook, facebook.com slash from the holodeck. Talk to us, pledge to our Patreon. And by doing so, you guys will ensure that we keep, we keep doing these shows. So, I want to thank everyone for listening. Talk to you next week. I couldn't help but notice your pain. My pain? It runs deep. Share it with me. End simulation.